So one of my favorite football movies is Remember the Titans. Oh yeah, Remember the Titans with Denzel Washington. It's about a football team at T.C. Williams High School here in Alexandria, Virginia. You see, before 1971, the school was segregated. It was a, only white students could attend that school, but in 1971, it became integrated, being attended by black students and white students. And this integration impacted everything, including the football team. You see, both black students and white students tried out for the team and they made it, which led to a lot of challenges because of the racial tension between black people and white people at that time. But in the movie, what you saw was a team who rallied together and they became united. And they began to grow in maturity together and play hard and they overcame much adversity from the outside and from within. You see, it is a wonderful picture and it's just so marvelous. It's a really great movie. Well, what happened on that football team is actually a fractured and worldly picture of the unifying work that God does in Christ as he reconciles enemies to himself and to one another. And as he reconciles us to one another, we are to live in this unity and labor for our maturity. And in fact, this is what we're going to see this morning in our passage. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 16. It is found on page 1029 in the Pew Bible in front of you. And as you are turning there, I'll give you some background for the book of Ephesians. It is written by the Apostle Paul. You see, he planted the church in Ephesus. And in fact, he spent the longest time in Ephesus than any other place recorded in Scripture. And his time in Ephesus is found in Acts chapter 18, verses 24, all the way to chapter 20, verse 38. You see, uh, in the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, Paul, he focuses in on our new identity how we who are in Christ have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He focuses in, talks about how the Lord has chosen us and predestined us and adopted us in Christ to the praise of his glory. And then he goes on and prays for spiritual wisdom, spiritual understanding in light of the calling that God has given us. And in chapter 2, he reminds us that we were once dead in our sins, but God by his grace has saved us. He reminds us that we were once separated from Christ and alienated. But God has, in Christ, has reconciled us to himself and to one another and making us a new humanity in Christ Jesus. Well, then in chapter 3, Paul begins to talk about his ministry that was given to him to proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ to the Gentiles. And he concludes chapter 3 with this beautiful prayer, praying that the church may be filled with the Spirit, that we may be rooted and grounded in love, and that we may know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Well, that's what, those are a summary of the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, but in chapter 4 is a turning point in the book of Ephesians. See, in chapter 4, all the way to the end of the letter, Paul begins to expound on how we are to live in light of this new identity that we have. And so, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 16. Will you please stand for the reading of God's Word? Ephesians 
And it reads this. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You may be seated. And so our big idea this morning is this. The church, in all its diversity, is to live in unity and grow in maturity. I'll say it again. Our big idea this morning is the church, in all its diversity, is to live in unity and grow in maturity. And I have two points for us this morning from this passage. The first point is live in unity, and the second grow in maturity. And so live in unity is our first point, and grow in maturity. So live in unity. Look at verses 1 to 3 with me. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And so Paul, he reminds the congregation, this church in Ephesus, that he is imprisoned, that he is suffering for them, and he's imprisoned for the gospel. And this imprisonment is under the sovereign lordship of Jesus Christ. In fact, the Lord made known that Paul would suffer much for the sake of Christ, while although Paul is imprisoned, he seeks to encourage many churches. And in fact, Paul here, he exhorts the church and he exhorts us to live in a way that is in conformity to our calling. You see, we who are in Christ, God has graciously saved us in Christ. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ, seeing that we were predestined and adopted, that we are forgiven of our sins and sealed with the Holy Spirit. We, used to, we were dead in sins, but God has made us alive. We were separated, but God has united us. And we are now a new humanity. 
And since God has saved us, Paul is exhorting us to live a different way. You see, the saving work of God has a direct impact on how we are to live our lives. You see, we are to no longer live like we used to when we were dead because we're not that person anymore. We have been made alive and we are new creations in Christ Jesus. And being called by God, it changes everything. And so we've been transformed by the gospel and now we are to strive to live in conformity to the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul clarifies what this walk is to look like towards one another since we've been saved. He, you, he describes it in four specific characteristics. He says, we are to walk with all humility. This is counting others more significant than ourselves, looking not to our own interest, but also to the interest of others. It is reflecting the humility of Christ that's seen in Philippians chapter 2. Paul says gentleness. This is part of the fruit of the Spirit. And he's more so getting at meekness, where one is being considerate of others with self-restraint. This is having the ability to relinquish one's own rights in order to serve the other. He says that we're to walk with patience. This is long-suffering towards one another in light of how the Lord has been patient with us. And then he clarifies patience all the more as he says that we are to be bearing with one another in love. You see, this is not begrudgingly tolerating one each other and putting up with each other, but this is steadfast forbearance with members and their weakness and failure. You see, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17, Paul prayed that we would be rooted and grounded in, and grounded in love. Well, now he's exhorting us to display, to extend that very same love to one another. And as we walk in these ways, what he's getting at is that it will attain the very outcome that he's about to emphasize, unity in the Spirit. And he says that we are to be eager to maintain unity in the Spirit in the bond of peace. Or we are to make every effort to maintain this unity. Now, in the immediate context, this is a very big deal. Because the church consisted of both Jews and Gentiles. And if you know anything about Jews and Gentiles, these ethnic groups, they did not like each other. In fact, they despised each other. But what God has done in Christ, he has united them together in making them both one. You see, he has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. And so now that we are united, he tells us that we are to be eager to maintain this unity. Also notice that the unity is maintained by the church, not created. You see, it was inaugurated by the Lord Jesus Christ through his death. And it was made effective by the Holy Spirit when we repented and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And see, and then he says that this unity is to be in the bond of peace. Well, there is to be no beef or division in the church, but love and oneness, despite our disagreements and our differences. You see, this, this is an exhortation to live selflessly and walk in love. Such manner of life doesn't come naturally for any of us because of sin. You see, before God has saved us, we were dead in our sins and only thought about ourselves. Walk, but walking in the way that Paul is exhorting reflects the Lord Jesus Christ. Because in his life, when he, became, when he came to earth, he alone perfectly lived this out. And friends, it is impossible for us to live this way unless we are first 
born again. Which is why Paul makes known that we were first called by God, and in light of that calling, we are to live in this way. And even after being born again, even after being saved, it is still difficult because we are in this body of death. Daily, we battle sin. (laughs) You know, we are prone to pride when we are thinking much about the self and thinking, yeah, thinking about the self much and thinking of the self a whole lot, very much. And so this is, uh, this is difficult because it is uncomfortable and an inconvenience. But walking this way towards one another, what it does, it forces us out of our comfort zone because we are dealing with other people. We are dealing with people who are different from us. You see, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love are others-centered And therefore, they're inconveniences for our flesh. And the fact that we are to be eager to maintain this unity conveys that there will be things that can disrupt our unity. And these things are particularly in reference to non-salvific things. And so, Delray, what are some some non-salvific things that can corrode our unity as a local church? I can think of three. First, Different decisions that has to be made in different seasons we go through. For someone who is a wife and a mom, do you work from home or do you work outside the home? For those who have children who are in school, the school-age children, not the the school-age children, whether you choose to do private school, home school, or public school. Another area where we can have our unity be corroded is in the area of politics. You see, we recently had a family, family conversation discussing this very topic. And there could be a temptation to let our political affiliation be more important to us than the unity that we have in Christ. Delray, may we be on guard, especially as we come into an election year. May we be eager to maintain the unity in Christ. More, that, more have that eagerness than being eager to, to get members in the body to see our views on particular policies and a particular candidate. And thirdly, another topic that could corrode our unity is in the issue of race and social justice. You see, I've seen this issue destroy unity in the body in another place. And Delray, we're not immune to that. So may we be on guard to maintain unity as we have conversations through, as we have conversations about these specific topics. And may we discuss these topics with humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with one another in love. May we remember that Christ has died and united us in him. You see, we need God's help when discussing these topics and others because different opinions can easily lead to indifference and corrode our love for one another. And as this begins to happen, cool our love for one another, and as this begins to happen, it will corrode our love. Like corrosion on a battery car. You see, as that corrosion begins to build, the, car, the battery won't work and the car won't run. You see, these particular topics and others like them can do that very work in our congregation if we are not careful. And friends, it is easy to have disagreements elevate to a point of affecting unity. You see, as Eric prayed this morning, uh, I was convicted because just this week, my wife and I, we had disagreements about things that affected our unity. And for two days straight, we were disagreeing. We weren't seeing eye to eye. 
And during that time, I was not being humble. I was not living out this text. I was not being eager to maintain unity or being gentle. Well, in fact, what I was trying to do is get my point across and have her see that I'm right and assume that she was wrong. And by God's grace, we both repented and we reconciled. Well, y'all, if this, is a, if this can easily happen in my marriage, then how much easier could it happen in a congregation? And so, friends, may we be eager to maintain unity. And as we seek to be eager to maintain unity, it'll be some things for us to, to think through and discuss with our community group is what are, you know, where are you most tempted to not be eager to maintain unity with your brothers and sisters at Delray Baptist Church? You see, it can be one of the three areas that I've listed, or it can be another area. But wherever those areas are, I would encourage you to think through them and to confess them to other brothers and sisters in the congregation, to seek help and ask for brothers to pray that we may be united. You see, if we're going to live in unity, then we must pray regularly for it. Remembering the saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we must also live out Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 to 14, which reads this. That we are to put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And so may we live this out and seek to maintain unity. And Paul, he goes on to ground this exhortation to unity in the sevenfold realities that we share as a people. Many scholars believe that this may be a particular confession of the church. Look at verses 4 to 6 with me. He says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. You see, seven times in these three verses, Paul uses the word one to emphasize our unity. First, he says that there is one body, not multiple bodies, but one body of Christ. And Ephesians chapter 2 makes known that God has, Christ has reconciled us to God in one body. He says one spirit. Not multiple spirits, but, but the one Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. He is the Spirit who has sealed us when we believed in Jesus Christ, and it is in the one Spirit that we have access to the Father. He says that we have one hope, not two or multiple, but only one. And earlier in this letter, Paul prayed that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened, that we may know what is the hope to which God has called us in Christ. He says, one Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ, who came and died for sins and resurrected from the grave. He is our creator, the sustainer, and the redeemer. And he is the one Lord. He says one faith. The faith that saved the Jews is the very faith that saved the Gentiles when we believed in Jesus Christ. But it's also one faith can be a common body of belief that we share as we have studied the scriptures. And then he says one baptism. This one baptism it is what is... What it is, is we who believed in Christ were baptized into Christ. It is when our faith has gone public through this ordinance of baptism, signifying our union with the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And then Paul, he climaxes this confession when he says that we have one God and Father who is over all and through all and in all. You see, saints, we have one God and Father who has adopted us in Christ Jesus. And Paul says that this one God and Father, that he is transcendent, that he is unlike anything that he has created. And he gets at that as he says that the God and Father, he is over all. But then not only is he transcendent, but he is also imminent. He is near, which is why he says that the Father, he is through all and in all. And saints, if we are to, we are to live in unity because we are one. You see, the mystery has been revealed that God is uniting all things in Christ. And this unifying work begins with the church as he unites Jew and Gentile to Christ. And this unifying work in the church, it is a foretaste of the unifying work that be consummated when Christ returns. And so we are to live in unity. And it's this very same unity that Jesus prayed in John chapter 17 when he prayed to the Father that his disciples may be one, even as he and the Father are one. You see, such oneness is to be evident, capturing the attention of the world, and it proclaims a message to the world that the Father has sent the Son. And friends, Satan would love for the church to not walk in unity because of this distorted message it would convey to the world. You see, it is ironic that the book that has so much to say about unity is the very same book that has so much to say about spiritual warfare. You see, our three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil, would love to destroy our unity in Christ. And so may we be eager to maintain unity. And friends, if there are any members in this congregation where you now have an indifference toward, where your love has begun to cool because of disagreements and differences, I implore you this very day to seek to be reconciled to your brothers and your sisters. May you meditate on the fact that God has united us in Christ. May you remember that our sins have been forgiven through the atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And may we seek to go and be united to that brother and sister. And so we see in the first six verses that we are to live in unity. Well, now we're going to see that we are to walk, we are to grow in maturity. Look at verse 7. Paul says, but, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. You see, this unity, it doesn't mean uniformity or sameness. You see, not only is the church diverse with being a multitude of nations, people from a multitude of nations, but the church is also diverse because the Lord Jesus has distributed many spiritual gifts to each person in his, not many spiritual gifts, but he has distributed spiritual gifts to each person in his body. And this is what he gets at when he says grace. The grace of spiritual gifts are for ministry purposes. You see, in chapter 3, Paul makes known that God had made him a minister according to the gift of God's grace. Well, here he says that the Lord has given all of us who are in Christ spiritual gifts. Now, this list of spiritual gifts, it is found in Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14, Ephesians chapter 4, and 1 Peter chapter 4, if you want to look at the spiritual gifts the Lord has given. Well, in this passage, we also see that the Lord sovereignly decides which gift we will have, and he generously distributes them to his people as he wills. 
And though he distributes a diversity of gifts, we shouldn't look like the church in Corinth, where there was disunity and division because the saints were boasting in their gifts. You see, we have received these gifts from the Lord, and so we ought not to boast at all. Rather than looking like the church in Corinth, we should be more like a marching band. You see, in a marching band, there are many different sections where there are many different instruments, where you have the section that plays the tubas and the clarinet and the flute and the snare drum and the trumpet and, and many other musical instruments. And each section makes a vital contribution to the one song that's being played. You see, in the movie Drumline, the band director, he would remind his band, he would say that though that there are a diversity of instruments and that we play and all of them are using different instruments as they play, he says that we are one band and one sound. And saints, this is what it's to be. The church should be looked just like that. That though there are a diversity of gifts, we should have unity. And we should use our gifts for the edification of the saints. Look at verse 8. Where he says, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. You see here, Paul quotes Psalm 68, which is about God, the divine warrior, who descended to deliver his people and to destroy his enemies, and then ascended to Mount Zion to dwell there. And in his ascension, he demonstrated his victory because the captives followed him as he ascended. Well, Paul, the Apostle Paul, he applies the work of Christ. He applies this psalm to the work of Christ. You see, when Christ victoriously ascended, he led the powers of evil captive, and then he distributed gifts to men. And in fact, in the next few verses, Paul is going to, expect, he's going to focus particularly on the ascension and the giving of gifts. Look at verses 9 and 10, where he says, In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. You see, the, the victorious exaltation of Christ rightfully implies the humiliation of the Son of God, where he came from heaven and, and took upon human flesh, where he lived perfectly and died on the cross for sins and resurrected from the grave, and then he ascended to the right hand of the Father, displaying his sovereignty and his supremacy over all things. And then he distributed gifts to his people for the maturity of the church. Look at verse 11 and 12. He says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. You see, though the Lord has given gifts to everyone, here the Apostle Paul particularly focuses upon ministry leaders in the church. You see, these gifts are offices. They are persons who minister the word to the church, teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ for the edification of the body. He begins with the apostles. These are those who have seen the resurrected Lord and have been commissioned by him in this office. He also says the prophets. Now, this is not the same as the Old Testament prophets, for Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophetic office, where in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2 says that in the last days, God has spoken to us by his Son. But see, these are New Testament prophets where they don't necessarily give new revelation, but inspired utterances. You know, like 
Agabus in Acts chapter 11 and chapter 21 when the Spirit revealed to him that there would be a famine in Judea. And when the Spirit also revealed to him that the Apostle Paul would be arrested and then delivered up to the Gentiles. You see, these prophets, they, they foretell where they speak to the church for their upbuilding and comfort. But they also speak in such a way that discloses what's going on in the hearts of non-Christians, leading to their conviction and them repenting of their sins and believing in Jesus Christ. Now, many Christians have different views on whether, the, whether or not this office of prophets are still around. You guys can discern that and think through that and decide that, but regardless of wherever you land on that, we must exercise discernment whenever we hear any type of teaching because Scripture commands us to test everything that we hear. Paul also says that the Lord gave evangelists. These are people with the unique ability to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to unbelievers. You know, like Philip in the book of Acts, the deacon, he was also an evangelist. But then the, uh, the Apostle Paul also exhorted Timothy to do the work of an evangelist. And then he says that the Lord also gave shepherds and teachers. Now, some versions may say pastors and teachers. These are elders of the church. You see, the term overseer, pastor, and shepherd are all used interchangeably to speak of the same office. These are biblically qualified men who are to shepherd the flock as under shepherds reflecting the chief shepherd and pointing the church to him. You see, they teach the word, and they exercise oversight over the church. And Delray, it has been a true joy getting to serve as one of the elders of the church. Brothers and sisters, thank you for allowing me to serve along with the other brothers in this office for a short season. And saints, as Garrett said earlier, I echo it. The elders here love y'all. They pray diligently for the saints. They care for you guys' souls. You see, the, saint, the elders here, they want to see all of you who are members here presented mature in Christ on that day. I can't tell you how many elders' meetings we have stayed late and have sought the Lord together, caring for your souls. And so members, know that the elders love you. You know, Garrett has said a number of times, and he said it earlier, that he believes that we have the best elders on the planet. And I fully agree with him. Brothers, it has been a true joy getting to serve as an elder alongside of you. I have learned so much about the Lord from each and every one of you by your example by the way you handle the word, by the way you pray for the saints, and by the way you love all the people. And so, brothers, thank you so much for being examples for me, but also thank you for continuing to be an example for the flock. Well, in verse 12, we see why the Lord has given these offices for a particular responsibility. He said he has given them to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. You see, the elders, they are not to do all of the work of the ministry, but they are to equip the members to do the work of the ministry. Like a coach 
or a dance coach training their athletes or training this This is what the elders are to do here. And as they, build, as they labor for the edification of the saints, the saints, we, are to build up this local body. You see, Delray Baptist Church, it is our responsibility to labor towards the maturity of each and every member of this church. And no member is exempt from this work. You see, the elders equip and the entire church labors. And so how do the elders at Delray Baptist Church labor to equip the saints here? Well, I give us four ways. This is not exhaustive, but this is four particular ways. In our Sunday gatherings, where we sing the word, where we pray the word, read the word, hear the word, preach the word, and see the word in the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper. You see, as we gather together on our Sundays for our corporate worship, it is for the glory of God. It is for the edification of the saints, and it's for the equipping of the saints, which is why at the end of every service, you constantly hear the elders tell, the, tell visitors that if they've heard anything today and they want to have conversations about any of it, talk to any of the members. You see, this is by way that we seek to equip you for the work of the ministry. Secondly, I would say our foundations hour at a 9.30, between 9.30 and 10.30, where we systematically cover different doctrines of the Bible. You see, as, we, as the elders and other members teach, it is not just so that we can be puffed up with knowledge, but so that we can grow in our understanding of the Scriptures, that we may have discernment so that we won't give ear to false teaching, but also so that we can disciple one another and encourage one another in the Lord. And just this semester, Garrett has started an evangelism training course that he's been leading that we, the saints, will be further equipped to share the good news of Jesus Christ with, all, with any and all non-Christians. And fourth and finally is equipped to counsel, where John Henderson leads a class where he counsels and teaches members how to counsel one another, how to engage and apply the personal ministry of the word. And as members, as we attend these, we are further equipped to do the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. And that ought to be our goal as Delray Baptist Church, the maturity of this church. Well, in verses 13 and 14, Paul makes known that we are to labor to build up the body so that we may attain maturity, but also so that we may avoid immaturity and instability. First, attain maturity. Look at verse 13. Where he says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. You see, commentaries believe that this, is a, this description points to the ultimate destination of God's people on the last day. And since this is the destination on the last day, this also ought to be the direction that we labor toward until that day. You see, this, part of this is the already and the not yet. Because we already have unity in the faith, and we already have knowledge of the Son of God, and yet we are to continue to grow in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. We are to labor towards maturity for every member at Delray Baptist Church. And Paul makes known that Jesus Christ is the standard of our maturity, that we want to be like him. And friends, we haven't arrived but we are to strive to build up one another towards maturity. This is to be the pursuit of Delray Baptist Church for all of our days. 
ongoingly seeking to progress in sanctification, that all of us will look more and more like Jesus Christ. And so we are to labor to attain maturity, but we also to labor that we may avoid immaturity and instability. Look at verse 14. He says, So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. You see, we are to no longer be children. You see, it's okay to be a child in the faith. And in fact, when all of us first believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, we were children in the faith. But we are to labor towards maturity. You see, one thing about children, the reason why we are to labor towards maturity is that one thing about children is they, they are unstable. And they lack discernment. And they're not mature. You see, like my son, Jace, um, he recently learned how to walk. And man, y'all, this man walking all over the place. <laughs> you know, he's trying to, learn, trying to run and everything like that. And it's so sweet to watch him walk. But he is unstable. Like, man, you can easily barely tap him and he's going to fall. Like, fall. So serious. Every time. You guys can try it. All right, for real, don't do it, though. <laughs> um, but yeah, so he, yeah, he's very unstable. But also, he's immature. You see, my son lacks discernment. You see, he has a severe peanut allergy, and he doesn't know it. And if you were to offer him some food with peanuts in it, he will gladly eat it, not knowing that what he's about to eat can be the very same thing that would kill him. And see, Paul wants us to grow in maturity so that we can have discernment so that we can be stable and not unstable, which is what he says next. He says, tossed to and fro by the waves, getting at a storm-tossed boat with, with no anchor. The waves will easily shift the boat and end up destroying it. But also that we may not be deceived by false doctrines taught by false teachers. You see, by God's grace, the elders here are greatly concerned with the right preaching and teaching of the word. But as members, we can easily be exposed to false teaching, whether it's podcasts, whether it's books or music, and much of which can, have, can be disclosed or, or have the label Christian, and yet it's false teaching. And so if we're not careful, we can easily be deceived. But Paul says that, that we're to labor towards not being deceived because behind all these false teaching and behind all the false doctrine and false teachers is Satan's deceitful schemes. And this is what we want to avoid here at Delray Baptist Church. And so we're to labor towards maturity and seek to avoid immaturity. And Paul makes known the way that we are to do this. Look at verses 15 and 16 where he says, Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head and to Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You see, we don't mature in isolation, but our maturity is interdependent upon one another. It happens in the context of a local church. You see, friends, it is not just me and Jesus, but the church is we and Jesus. You see, our faith is personal, but it is not private. You see, when we became followers of Jesus Christ, we were united to him, and we were united to one another. And we mature through relationships as we speak the truth in love to one another. 
As we are taught the word and study the word, we are to share that very same word to one another. And all of this is to be wrapped in love. You see, we are to have a concern for one another's growth in godliness. You see, Jesus makes known in John chapter 17 that the word sanctifies us. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul makes known that the word it teaches and reproves and corrects and trains us in righteousness. And this is why we want to share the word with each other. And as we share the word, we grow. Notice Paul included himself. You see, it's the same with the elders. The means for our maturity is the same as the means for the maturity of the entire congregation. Speaking the truth in love. And also notice that Paul said that we are to grow up in every way. We, want to, we ought to want to mature being like Jesus Christ in every way. We should want to reflect his love, his compassion, his patience, his forbearance, his humility. And we should want to reflect him in all spheres that the Lord has placed us. You know, in our work life, working unto him and being set apart. In our relationships with roommates and neighbors and our spouse and children. You see, our sanctifi- we should want our sanctification to be evident in all areas of life. And saints, if this is going to happen, then we must be in relationship with one another. But not only must we be in relationship with one another, but we must go beyond surface-level conversations. We must really talk with one another about what God is doing, what God is teaching. We must be real with one another when things are very difficult. And, and then as we listen, Seek to bring God's word into the conversation. You see, as members of the church, what we are to say is that your responsibility, no, not responsibility, that your maturity is my responsibility. And from verse 16, we see that Christ is the source of our maturity and our unity. You see, as the church is equipped and each part is working properly, the body matures. See, the Lord uses the body to build up the body in love. And members, you want to know who specifically you get to build up? The membership directory is a helpful tool in helping you see who you have primary responsibility to, to speak the truth in love for their edification. If you don't have one, please go to the front office and grab one. And as you get a membership directory, I would strongly encourage you to pray through it. I can speak from personal experience. The more I pray for people, the more I find myself being concerned with how they are doing. And so as you take it and as you pray, pray that none of us will be complacent in our walk with the Lord Jesus. And pray that we would all would want to see every member mature in Christ. Pray that we as a church be committed to speaking the truth and love to one another. And then also labor toward that end. Also, a few more questions for us to consider and for us to discuss over lunch and in community group. In light of this, as friends, how are you laboring toward the maturity of the church? But then also, in what ways could you grow in laboring towards this end? Especially seeing that, that this is the responsibility of each and every member in the congregation. And as as relates to speaking the truth in love to one another, as it is the means for our growth, another question to ask is, what will hinder you from speaking the truth in love to other members in the congregation? In Delray Baptist Church, 
I can encourage you in this. You see, saints, you, by God's grace, have spoken the truth in love to my wife and I, and I've been greatly encouraged in seeing the way that you speak the truth in love to one another. You see, I can't, you know, I, I wouldn't have enough time to tell you all the ways that you guys have encouraged my wife and I. You see, every rebuke, every admonishment, every encouragement, every time you brought God's word to us, it has encouraged us greatly. And we are so grateful that by God's grace, you guys are walking in obedience in this. And let me encourage you to keep on doing this. You see, just this past Tuesday, my wife and I, we, we went on a date, and we had a conversation about one of the, the ways that the Lord has grown us since we've been here. And it was one of the most edifying conversations that we had. And we cried tears of joy because all of the ways that we saw the Lord's growth in us is because of God using the church. And so thank you so much for your obedience, for your prayers, for your exhortations. And friends, keep on doing it. Because as you do this, God is making known that the church is built up in maturity. So do not stop, but keep encouraging one another in this. Keep encouraging one another in this. And, but also, I know there are some here who know you know yourself to be a Christian, but you're not a member of a church. I strongly encourage you to become a member of a church. You see, as we see in this passage, as you become a member, you have elders who would shepherd your souls. And you would be united to a people who have the responsibility to help you follow Jesus. And you get to do that very same work. You see, this is covenant commitment within a local church, and it is good for your spiritual growth, and it is the way by which that God has designed the local church. But also, if you know yourself to not be a Christian, I am so glad you are here. I think there's no greater place for you than to be here hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm sure the idea of living in unity and amidst diversity with people who are like you and unlike you, with people who agree and disagree with you, all the while loving and being committed to one another and growing in maturity, this may be something you really want. This may be something you think that you need. Because I know nowadays the word community is the buzzword. It's the word that it's the thing that everyone is looking for. And if this is you, I would encourage you on a few things. You know, I understand that you think that this is what you need, this is your primary need, but I would say that this is not your primary need. You see, your primary need is forgiveness of sins. You see, you have sinned and rebelled against a holy and just God, and he will not let the guilty go unpunished. But in his love, he sent his son to become man, to humbly obey, and to die as a substitute on the cross for all who would repent and believe in him. And three days later, he resurrected from the grave. And he offers and extends forgiveness of sins to all who would turn from their sin and believe in him. 
And if you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, your sins will be forgiven. You will be united to the Father. You'll be, to the Son, you'll be united to the Father through the Son, and you'll be reconciled, and you'll be a part of the family of God. This is your greatest need. For your greatest problem is not a lack of community, but sin. And your greatest need is not community, but forgiveness of sins. And as you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you are united to his people, and you will have this community. And so I implore you to turn from your sin and believe the gospel. Happy to talk more with you after service if you want to talk. In Delray Baptist Church, may we live in unity. May we grow in maturity all the way until that day when we see the Lord Jesus Christ. For when we see him, we will be made like him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your saving work in Christ Jesus. How you've made enemies into family. How you have adopted us in Christ, uniting us to one another. Father, we pray that we'll be eager to maintain that unity. Lord, help us to be diligent to labor towards maturity. Father, may we seek to help everyone to heaven. God, give grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.